This morning, I had us sing the battle hymn of the Republic. The battle hymn of the Republic was written by uh, Julia Howe as after a request that was made to her by a general. It was written during the Civil War. The Civil War had already been taking place for about a year. And uh, the popular song sitting around the campfires was John Brown's body in the grave. And it was a pretty depressing song. And uh, the general thought it was kind of demoralizing. So he asked Julia Howe if she could write a song that would be more inspirational and uh, also more God-honoring. And with that challenge, she said, I'll pray about it. And she laid down, went to sleep. And as she was sleeping, uh, she woke and all of a sudden she had these thoughts. And so she got up and wrote them down very quickly so she wouldn't forget them in the morning. And uh, in that one night, she wrote uh, the battle hymn of the Republic. Now, it's been changed through the years as it, as it uh, has come down to us. Uh, at one point, it had six stanzas. Uh, we sing four. Interestingly enough, the other two stanzas are much more uh, spiritual, if you will, than uh, the ones that we, we sing. But there's another change, one that I became very acutely aware of in high school. Uh, I sang in our high school choir, and our choir was going to perform a patriotic medley in uh, one of our uh, concerts. And in that patriotic medley, it included the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And I remember our choir director instructed us that we were to take out our, our music and go down to the line that says, As he died to make men holy, originally it said, Let us die to make men free. And she encouraged us to cross that out and replace die to make men free with live to make men free. And that's the wording that has become most popular. And it's the wording that's in our hymnal this morning, live to make men free. But it struck me as I think I was a junior in high school at that time. It struck me how incongruous that statement was. Uh, I realized that it was impossible for Christ to make us holy without dying. That uh, he died to make men holy. And the comparison is to be that as Christ was willing to die to make men holy, we should be willing to die to make men free. Uh, And that was the thought of the battle hymn of the Republic. That was the, the whole crust of the argument for that particular battle song. That there was value, there was dignity, there was reason for this civil war, if you will. And so it was very incongruous to change that wording. Now, I'm not interested in having an argument this morning about the words to the battle hymn of the Republic and how it is incongruous or not. That's just the way it struck me. But this morning, we have an interesting consideration somewhat along those lines. And that is, our theme this morning is, as Christ sacrificed his body and died in order to do the will of God, let us sacrifice our bodies and live in order to do the will of God. Let me say that again. As Christ sacrificed his body and died in order to the will of God, let us sacrifice our bodies and live in order to do the will of God. I'm taking Hebrews chapter 10. 
And I'm going to intertwine it with Romans chapter 12. And I believe that these passages fit very well together. So we begin by looking at that thought. Christ sacrificed his body and died in order to do the will of God. I'm going to actually pick up in our text at verse 5 and continuing on from there. God the Father sent Christ into the world. Hebrews 10.5 Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. The uh, body prepared is referring to the Father. Thou hast prepared a body for me. The me is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came into the world, he said, My Father has prepared a body for me. The reason that Christ came into the world was because God the Father was not satisfied with the sin offerings of the Old Testament. Notice verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, now these words, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired. Thou hast not desired. But a body thou hast prepared for me. The reason why it was necessary that Christ came into the world was to sacrifice his body for sins. To sacrifice his body for sins. And the reason for that is, first, because God was not pleased with the sacrificial system. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 6. In whole burnt offerings and sacrificings for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. It's an interesting statement. And we might ask the question, how could it be that God who instituted a rite a ceremony, an activity, God who established the whole sacrificial system as it was given to him, as it was given to Moses, how is it that God would not be pleased with the system that he himself established, that he himself ordained, that he himself told people to do? Why wouldn't God be satisfied When his people did what he told them to do. Well, the answer to that is because the sacrifices were never intended to take away sin. They were never to be the way in which people came into a right relationship with God. The sacrificial system was to lead people to a knowledge of the Messiah. The one who was going to come. The one who was going to die for the sins of the people. It was to be illustrative. And many of the Old Testament saints understood that. Many did not. David himself said in Psalm 51. He said, I will offer the sacrifices of righteousness, but thou wilt not be pleased. He said, the the sacrifices of broken and contrite spirit. Oh God, that thou will not despise. David realized that that what God wanted him to do was to confess his sin and rely upon God's ability to forgive and to deliver. And the offering was to be offered in that light with that, with that thought of humble repentance and an expectation on God's coming deliverance. And so Christ was the necessary fulfillment of that sacrifice. That was not an afterthought. 
Scripture says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. It wasn't that God started with sacrifices and then changed over to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, but the sacrifices led up to Jesus Christ. They were a, a teaching tool. They were to help us understand. I almost, almost this morning, uh, preached on Psalm 51 because there are four pictures of forgiveness of sin in Psalm 51 that's beautiful. The sacrifices pictured the full orb aspect of, of forgiveness, the various burnt offerings, the meal offerings. All of those things showed what is the totality of the forgiveness that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. But it was intended to fulfill the purpose of God. For notice verse 4. Hebrews 10.4 For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Not just now. Ever. The blood of goats and bulls did not take away sin. Sin has always been forgiven as a result of the personal Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints look forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. But the redemptive work of Christ has always been, always will be necessary. And so Christ was willing to be obedient to the Father, even to the point of offering his body as a sacrifice for sins. Notice verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Now verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the role of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ came into the world to do the will of God. And central to that will, at the heart of that will, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Galatians. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He sent his son to redeem all those who had been under that sacrificial system so that they could become the children of God. And he sent his son for us that we might become the children of God. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the, the children of God who are born not of flesh nor the will of man, but of God. Christ came to die. God gave a body to Jesus so that he could physically die. The wages of sin is death. And Christ was sent into this world to die for us. And he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. As a result, the sacrifice of Christ replaced the whole sacrificial system. Verse 8. After above, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings, hold burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast not, not desired. I haven't been looking at these Old Testament references. If you've got a, a New American Standard, that's a very helpful translation. I, I like the fact that when it gets to Old Testament prophecies it, uh, or Old Testament allusions, uh, it puts it in capital Letters, So you can see that these are quotations from the Old Testament. The idea here, these aren't new thoughts. They're found in the Old Testament as well. But for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. 
Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So he, he took away the sacrificial system. There are many different uh, proofs, if you will, for the authority of the scriptures, for their validity, for, for their validity, for their veracity, for their, their truthfulness. Um, fulfilled prophecies are one of those characteristics. And different people have different prophecies, I think, that they look to and are rather startling. Uh, certainly the crucifixion of Christ is one of those. Uh, for uh, the, the idea of crucifixion didn't even exist among those uh, Old Testament saints that came in with the Roman Empire. Uh, but yet uh, there's a testimony to the way in which Christ died. But to me, the most striking test, uh, prophecy is that Israel is going to be without a sacrifice. They are going to be without a person who wears an ephod. They're going to be without a high priest. It was unthinkable in the Jewish culture and system. Can you imagine that there would be a time in which Israel would be without sacrifices and they'd be without a high priest wearing an ephod and the breastplate and all those things? That is so germane. That is so central. That is so fundamental to Jewish worship that it seemed absolutely unreasonable to think that there would ever come a time in that which would be done away. But you think about today. There are Jewish people. There is an Israel. There is a Holy Land, if you will. But there is nowhere within Judaism today where sacrifices are being offered. Do you realize that? There is not even the most Orthodox Jews as there are a wide variety of, of Jews as it relates to their, their fundamental uh, look at the scriptures. The most orthodox Jews, those are the ones you see with the long things hanging down, etc. Uh, if you go to the outlets, premium outlets, you run into the orthodox Jews. But um, you will not see anywhere in Judaism animals being sacrificed. There is not a high priest today. There is nobody wearing a robe. God in his sovereignty did away with it. After Christ died with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the sacrificial system vanished. The temple was destroyed. Ark of the Covenant was lost. We don't even have those things today. God wonderfully and miraculously Remove them to demonstrate the reality of the truth that Jesus Christ replaced the sacrificial system. You will remember that when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross and died, that one of those wonderful testimonies was that the veil in the temple was rent. That it was opened up. That the way into the most holy place that no one had seen but the high priest was now laid bare and exposed. Because Christ is the fulfillment of all of the sacrificial system. A great testimony to the truthfulness and the accuracy of the word of God and the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
I think that's a really powerful witness when you're talking to a Jewish person. I use it all the time. I ask them, how are you dealing with sin? The Old Testament is clear that you need to be offering sacrifices, etc. What are you doing about sin? There is no forgiveness other than through Jesus Christ. And so, Christ's sacrifice of himself is sufficient to obtain our salvation. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice was due to his willing and complete offering himself, even to the point of death. Hebrews 10.10 By this will, we have been sanctified. The will is referring to Christ's will. By this will, Christ's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus said, I came to do your will. The first and great commandment is this. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your your might. That's the first and great commandment. And the only one who's ever done that is Jesus Christ. He loved God with all his heart and all his soul and all his might. And he was obedient to the Father in all things. And he was willing to go to the cross. And it is that level of commitment... that brings the fulfillment of all righteousness. The reason our sins are forgiven is twofold. One, the penalty for sin had to be overcome. The wrongdoing that we did had to be overcome. But the other is the omissions of sins that we had committed. Not only have we done what was wrong, we failed to do what was right. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, for he died for all that we had done wrong, and he lived so he might do all that we had failed to do. Christ was fully obedient to the Father, supplying for us true righteousness. We are righteous because of his righteousness. We are set apart, we are sanctified by his will, by his willingness to do what God would have him to do. And so the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice is to be seen in that it was made once for all time. Notice Hebrews 10.10, the last statement. By this, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, meaning once for all time. In the text earlier, it talks about how these sacrifices had to be offered year after year after year. Christ's sacrifice was offered once and it was done. He died on the cross. He rose again. That's why we don't have a crucifixion hanging up here. Because we're not sacrificing Christ anew today. We don't believe that these emblems change into the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But rather they are a remembrance of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he died once. And he rose from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's coming again. Because God is completely satisfied. God wasn't completely satisfied with the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Something else had to be added. God is completely satisfied with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God the Father is satisfied with the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God the Father is satisfied with us. As we go to the communion table, we are fully acceptable in his sight because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what should our response be? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. And here's where I want to uh, bring these, these two 
chapters together. Romans 12. Very familiar verses. But what I want us to see this morning is that we are to sacrifice our bodies and live to do the will of God. Christ sacrificed his body and died in order to do the will of God. We are to sacrifice our bodies and live to do the will of God. So first of all, we should be motivated to respond to God's grace and mercy in our lives. Romans 12.1 I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Romans has been depicting the great salvation that we enjoy and God's mercy in it all. You have Romans 8, 9, and 10. You have Romans 5, 1. Therefore, be justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have Romans 3, 23. For all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. We have Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have Romans chapter 8. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We are given these great chapters to lead us to understand the grace of God that we've enjoyed, even all the way back to Romans chapter 1, where it says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as written in the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1 teaches us that, uh, all, that uh, uh, it's a matter of, of grace that we are saved. And, and it depicts for us the whole salvation plan and purpose of God. And so Romans chapter 12 comes to a climax It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by his goodness to us, by all that we've seen in Romans chapter 10, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is a spiritual service of worship. So we learn that we should offer our bodies in sacrifice to the Lord. Notice verse 1, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. We are to present our bodies as a sacrifice. But notice that the sacrifice of our bodies is to be a living one. A living one. We're not actually to crawl up on an altar and die, but we are to live for the sake of God. We are to present our bodies to the Lord. I'll say more about that in just a moment. Such a sacrifice is pleasing to God. Notice it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now these words acceptable to God. That sacrifice is acceptable to God. We read in Romans chapter 10 that the whole sacrificial system did not bring any pleasure to God. But it delights God. When we come based on the mercies of God and want to live for him, that pleases him because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, the book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Before you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't do anything praiseworthy. You can't do anything meritorious. You can't keep the law. You can't gain brownie points. You, you cannot bring a smile to the face of a wrathful God. It's only after you place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that now you're able to present yourselves as an acceptable sacrifice to God. Now to say, God, here I am, do with me what you will, is the appropriate thought of one who knows 
Christ as their Savior. But notice also that the sacrifice of our bodies is the true act of worship, Romans 12.1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. And now these words, which is your spiritual service of worship? NIV, this is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, King James, which is your reasonable service. But their service is actually this worship service. Uh, You want to worship God? How do we worship God today? In light of all that the Word of God says. Worship is always brought with it a sacrifice. What are you to bring? Maybe you said this morning, my sacrifice is the tithes and offering. I'm bringing my money. Present the Lord. That's good. That's good. But that's not the totality. That's not the big thing. That's not the huge picture. What do we bring? Don't bring a dove. We don't bring a lamb. We don't bring a goat. What do we bring to God? Well, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it's our bodies. We bring ourselves to God. And that is our spiritual service of worship. Service meaning actually here a administration of service. It's, it's a word that's used for the high priests as they serve God. It's saying this is our sacrifice. This replaces our burnt offering. We're coming presenting ourselves to the Lord only because of what Jesus Christ did. Totally unmeritorious without Christ. But with Christ, that is our spiritual act of worship. So, my application to you this morning is, we're not to have a duplicity of mind and body. We're to be consciously serving and committed to our worship of God. And that worship must be consistent with how we use our bodies. I said in Sunday school, Plato made a distinction between the body and soul. And the body was physical and it was it was, it was defiled. It was sinful, if you will. Um, Gnostics made a distinction between body and soul. Pietists have a tendency to make a distinction between body and soul. Body's bad, soul is good. The pietists were, were huge about, about just your personal inner being. Well, we need to remember, because I think this is really messed up, modern evangelicalism. That to be right with God, it's not just my inner spiritual being of saying, oh God, I love you, and then go out and use your bodies any way you want. You can't commit sin in your body. You can't be engaged in fornication. You can't be engaged in adultery. You can't be engaged in stealing and say, my heart is right with God. It's not. It's not. If your heart is right with God, you won't do those things. So, Romans encourages us to present our bodies. It tells us to yield our members unto righteousness. Because before you were slaves to sin, now you're supposed to be slaves to righteousness. Using your bodies to worship and serve God. In a very real and practical way. If we say to ourselves, I am right with God because inwardly, I have this dependence and love for him. But outwardly, 
I'm living for the devil. We have, we have really, really deceived ourselves. True worship of God is going to result in our presenting ourselves to him and saying, use me. Do with me as you would. So Romans 6.13 says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And those words of present are the aspects of presenting a, uh, a sacrifice that's used in sacrificial language, that I'm coming, bringing my sacrifice, I'm coming, bringing me, my, my members, Romans 6.13. Romans 6.19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Just as sinful people grow worse and worse, just as sinful people go down a road that leads them to more and more unrighteousness. Just as sinful people get to do more and more things. Serial killers get to the place where they have no, conv- they have no conscience anymore. They can, they can sit down and eat with a dead body lying by them and it doesn't affect them. Sin has a searing effect upon the conscience. Just as More and more sin leads to more and more unrighteousness. Romans teaches us the more and more righteousness leads to more and more righteousness. As we yield to him, as we give ourselves over to him, the more we give ourselves over to him, the more we yield, the more we grow in our sanctification. So this morning, as we go to the communion table, I want us to think about two things. First of all, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us in his flesh, in his body. Not just an inner statement of, I want to do your will, O God, (laughs) but how to be manifested in that body hanging on a tree. There was a physical yielding himself to God. Next week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're up next. And the first temptation is turning the uh, stone into bread meeting his physical needs, rather than yielding to what God would have him to do. We need to recognize that God offered uh, the Lord Jesus Christ to us in his body. He bore our sins. In response, as we take communion this morning, let us say to God, our bodies are yours. I will live my life to do your will. I will yield myself, body, and soul. I will make the adjustments. I will make the changes. I will forsake the sin. I will live differently with my body than the world around me. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you. You're welcome to participate in communion this morning. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we ask you to refrain. Not because of any rule that we have, but because of what the Word of God teaches concerning those that uh, should and should not partake of communion. But let me just say to you this morning, that uh, if you uh, seek forgiveness, if you want to have your sins forgiven, and you want to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you certainly can do that in a moment's time. Just inwardly, you can call about God and say, God, I know I need forgiveness. I know I'm a sinner. I know that the only way I can be forgiven is through the, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And so I'm trusting in him. 
May you be my Savior. Uh, if that is in your heart this day, if that's what you want to do, then uh, you're right with God. And then you take communion. But if that commitment has never been made, then we ask that you refrain uh, from taking communion. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace to us. We thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And bless this time we have, have together in Jesus' name. Amen.